Hi, I'm Randy Chandevel, and you're listening to This Golden State. I don't know if you've seen any of these videos. They're from police departments all across America. This one from Vallejo here in California. Maroon Toyota, no plates. A couple of white police officers pull over a young African-American woman. Hi, ma'am. The reason we pulled you over is because you were speeding. I, I wasn't speeding, officer. Um, yes, you are, ma'am. I've been watching you. And then, in the video, the woman, the cops, and some cheerleaders start dancing to a 1990s hip-hop song. New York cops have done it, Detroit, Miami, Los Angeles, dozens have bought into it. A challenge started by a couple of New Jersey teenagers just to dance. Now, one reason so many police departments are doing it, it softens their image at a time their image has taken a beating because of too many police shootings and police killings of people of color. Be warned, some of what you're about to hear is pretty disturbing. Just drop it! Just drop it, please! Oh my god! Oh my god! Oh my god! god. What you just heard was five San Francisco police officers shooting and killing Mario Woods a young black man under the influence of something who was holding a knife. God! Stop! Oh, my God! What the f***? You have to shoot him that many f***ing times! They could have f***ing grabbed that f***ing knife from us! That police killing, just one of eight in San Francisco in the past year and a half. Most of the dead, Latino or black. Late last month, the city's police chief, Greg Sur was forced to resign. How could the Bay Area, one of the most liberal places in the country and one of the most racially integrated places in the world, be home to so many police killings? The kid is standing there and you shot him. What did he do? Today, we talked to civil rights attorney John Burris, one of the most polarizing people in all of California. Many cops hate him. Many people of color adore him. His clients include Rodney King, Barry Bonds, Tupac Shakur, and the families of Oscar Grant and Mario Woods. He told us that despite all the recent headlines, there's not as much police brutality as there was decades ago. What has happened is because of video cameras and cell phones, it is being brought to the public attention much more so than before. Uh, I, I think a lot of efforts have been made to improve the quality of policing uh, as it relates to minorities and others in, in major cities. The problem, of course, still occurs, but I don't view it on the same level uh, uh, in terms of uh, the outrageousness as I once did and experienced. So is it possible, then, that all the reporting is giving people... Uh No, no, I, I don't think that's true. I just said it's better than it once was. I, I think that there's still a lot of police uh, misconduct directed at African Americans. I think Latinos and African American people of color uh, certainly receive a disproportionately negative contact with police officers than others do. Let's, uh, let, let's
let's talk about the San Francisco police chief who was uh, recently essentially forced to resign, mm -hmm. uh, Chief Greg Sir. Clearly, the last couple of years under his watch, uh, they were pretty rocky. I believe there were eight fatal shootings, uh, many of them of people of color, and several of them, at least at first blush, didn't seem to be necessary. In addition to that, there were two scandals involving officers sending each other racist text messages. Still, according to a lot of people in the city, Greg Sir was a good, kind, decent man who was trying really hard to reform the police department. So you know, I, I knew uh, and had contact with Chief Sir, and I found him to be a decent, honorable man. And I took the position, it doesn't matter whether Chief Sir is a great man, a good man, whether or not he really has good intentions uh, in order to reform. The question is, to me, was could he, in fact, do that, given his longstanding position in the department and the inability to take control of it now? And my position was, no, he could not. And though uh, he was a, uh, he's a good personable guy and, and, and uh, as a person and in many ways a, a, a thoughtful chief, he was not the chief, he should not have continued to be a chief because much of what had happened occurred on his watch, which then meant to me that regardless of what he thought he could do, he could not do and had not done. So therefore, to me, it was time for fresher eyes, new people to take a look at this. If, if you're a chief and you have some racist cops What are you supposed to do? How, how are you supposed to flesh that out? Well, that's a difficult challenge, and, and, and uh, one, it's a difficult challenge because no one can be responsible for all the attitudes that other people have. The issue is when you hear about these things, what do you then do? Now, I agree, I saw, and a chief cannot be totally responsible for every act that a police officer ha engages in, lawfully or unlawfully. On the other hand, hiring, hiring uh, practices, training practices, can go a long ways to weeding out the officers who may have that type of background. And in San Francisco, you really do have a, a culture of nepotism. Uh, it is a place where Irish and Italians and maybe more Asians now uh, from the city have long-standing uh, um, status within a department. And it's very difficult uh, in a culture, in a, in a department where cultures it means everything and context and nepotism mean everything to really change. Greg, sir. It doesn't make a difference to me. Uh, I, I, you know, it, it's really who is that person and what have they done, what is the message they've sent out, and, and, and their prior practices. There's a symbolic aspect, obviously, to a person of color, but I don't view that as necessarily uh, the most productive way of selecting a chief. It may, in fact, quiet people's, uh, the natives, if you will, because of that. But that clearly cannot necessarily be the, the best thing they can do in order to change the culture of a department. So the Bay Area is one of the most liberal areas in the country, if not in the entire world. I would imagine that even, even people in law enforcement in the Bay Area are a bit more progressive than people in other law enforcement departments in other parts of the country. Yet even here, we're having problems where police are often accused of uh, racial profiling, pulling over and stopping people of color more frequently than they do whites. 
and of being too aggressive. So how do you explain that? And I'm not so certain that because the area itself, in and of itself, is liberal, that that translates into the police department itself. I think law enforcement has a different mindset uh, than the political uh, uh, aspects uh, of a, a particular community. There also, there is a form of racial implicit bias that exists within law enforcement that people view African Americans or Latinos as uh, automatically suspicious. They view them in terms of stereotypic notions about who they are based upon what they look like. And as a consequence, it, it dictates the kind of policing that occurs toward them. There is no dispute in terms of as the data is collected in certain cities that there's a form of racial profiling that exists. I think that's uh, hard to dispute. I I agree. Studies show that. Right. But it does seem that uh, Bay Area police departments, at least in the last couple of years, are getting more heat than a lot of other departments. And I'm wondering, is it possible well, the heat the Bay Area has such a liberal history of activism that people here are more quick to point out the facts? I think that, one, there's activism here. And, and there's also lawyers here uh, that... Uh, uh, the law and the courts themselves, I, I think, allow for lawyers to bring these causes of actions. It allows for the community to protest. And sure, it may be a function of the community in which we live, which I think is, is a good thing. Uh, I, I, you know, I have relationships uh, in North Carolina because my wife teaches there. And I can tell you, you don't have many police cases brought in North Carolina, even though the brutality might be the same, but the judicial system and the, is not receptive to these cases, nor is the community necessarily receptive to them. But by and large, um, the Bay Area uh, is a place that is receptive to these kinds of, and, and Los Angeles as well, uh, Southern California, are receptive to bringing these kind of cases. Uh, the courts are receptive to them, and that makes all the, and, and, and the community support and activism is extraordinarily important. So the community does make a difference? I think the community makes an absolute difference uh, because in San Francisco, we may not, the chief may not have been terminated or resigned, but for the activism of the various community groups. The community response in and of itself brings pressure. I'm a strong believer that protests are absolutely important to the whole process because political people respond to it. And if political people respond to it, they're going to make the chief respond to it. And the chief responds to it, he's going to make his, his, uh, his rank and file officers respond to it. And that's not happening in North Carolina. That's totally. Departments in Alabama or Georgia. Absolutely, it is not. It is much more so in urban centers like New York, Chicago. Certainly, it is in Seattle. So the West clearly is a place where these things are happening. Maybe blue states, if you will. So um, you're currently representing the family of uh, Mario Wood, mm -hmm. uh, and for people who aren't uh, from the Bay Area, he's a 26-year-old African American man who was shot and killed by uh, five police officers, I believe. Mm -hmm. Woods apparently, while under the influence of several drugs, had just stabbed a man and was spotted by police holding that knife. So I guess the key to this case is, one, was Woods a threat when he was surrounded by five officers? Right. And two, did they need to shoot him 20 times? There's no doubt that uh, he had been alleged to have committed an assault earlier that he was seen, he was not compliant with their demands to drop whatever he had, and he continued to walk away. The problem is, when he was walking away, he was not threatening them. He was contained. There were police officers all around him. And so the question is, how do you deal with a person with an edge weapon or a knife 
a knife. The mere fact that you have that knife doesn't mean you get to kill them. You know, the problem, police training will sometimes allow you to create this confrontation. They don't back up. Well, you know, that's not the way it ought to be. The, the, the way it ought to be is that if a person is acting unreasonable or bizarre, maybe under the influence, maybe mentally impaired, you can't give them regular orders and expect them to be in compliance. But you can contain them because the more you contain them and more you contain them and you continue to talk to them, you can bring the situation under control. Here, they did not wait to do that. And, you know, uh, they anticipated something that he had not done, and they shot him in the back multiple shots. It was almost like a firing squad. John Burroughs doubts that police officers will be charged in the Woods case. His hopes to get a settlement for the Woods family. And the attorney hopes the shooting will cause police around the country to reevaluate their confrontation techniques, especially when dealing with mentally impaired people. Seven years ago, Burris was involved in another high-profile case, one that triggered massive protests, the police shooting and killing of another young black man, Oscar Grant, at a BART station in Oakland. And it was all captured on cell phone video by witnesses. Police responding to a fight on a BART train were trying to restrain Grant, handcuffed him, and turned him face down. Then, a BART police officer shot Grant in the back and killed him. The officer, who said he thought he was using his taser, was eventually convicted of involuntary manslaughter. That case demonstrated, uh, one, uh, that protests can have a significant impact. You know, it, it, number one, it had video, which was, had not, and that meant that cell phone videos became a, kind of the state of the art after that. And then number two, it also demonstrated that protest groups uh, can protest, and that could have an impact on the political uh, uh, people at large, which means the district attorney ultimately filed charges. He may not have filed those charges hadn't it been for the real protest that had taken place. So I thought that was an important aspect of it. And then thirdly, it, it caused reform to take place. When I say that, Bart then initiated a series of uh, investigation into its own department, had how they used force, how they used taser, how they used their weapons, how they did their internal affairs. So it has some positive benefits. And so that's when you look at a case and you say, real positive activity came out of it. And that's positive and that's great. Of course, the movie Fruitvale came out of it as well. So uh, another big case you were involved in that led to a lot of reforms in the Oakland Police Department, the so-called Oakland Riders. From my point of view, justice was done more so in that case than in most cases. We were able to use that case as a base to look at the systemic problems that existed in the city of Oakland Police Department. And so uh, I represented 119 people. Many of these people had gone to state prison, and, and we were able to get a significant amount of money for them. But that wasn't the most important aspect of the case. The most important aspect of the case was uh, the reform efforts that we were able to get. But 13 years later, many of those reforms still aren't aggressively enforced, though Burris says with Oakland's new police chief and mayor, Libby Schaff, he is optimistic. Right. But up until 1991, 
remember correctly, the night I saw the tape, I brought it to you for reaction. I was a journalist. Yes, I remember that very clearly. And uh, that tape kind of opened everyone's eyes. It was such an eye-opener to the white America that they had never seen anything like people, uh, uh, police officers treating African Americans the way they were. Although I will say this, nothing really happened from then on. Well, the, the police officers in the first trial weren't even found guilty of any crime. They weren't found guilty of any crimes, but that was in, and, and that, that only goes to how do you hold officers accountable? If you try to use the criminal justice system to do that, that is never going to work on a consistent basis. And the reason being is that the community of jurors do not want to hold officers accountable in a criminal way because it's like if they're working on their job and they're engaging in some conduct, they do not want to prosecute them. They're more willing to give them the benefit of the doubt. If you look at the cases that are tried around the country, most of the time, officers are not found guilty of, 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 of conduct. Well, even after Rodney King, uh, even after Eric Garner in New York, Michael Brown in Ferguson, Freddie Gray in Baltimore, I think it's still fair to say that there are many whites who still don't think people of color get rougher treatment from police than whites do. And so how does that affect, if, if, if I'm right in that assessment, Well, it is true that officers are given the benefit of the doubt by jurors for the most part, unless it is so outrageous that uh, they can get past that. Uh, uh, so it is an uphill battle because I think most jurors want to believe that police officers are trying to uh, do the best that they can do all the time. There's, there's lots of reason for the black community to be very distrustful of the police, but yet at the same time they need the police. You have to have the police, given the nature of crime that exists in the communities. You, you mentioned juries give police the benefit of the doubt, and I imagine that's probably because they recognize the police face life and death situations sometimes. They know it's a dangerous job, no question. second decision. Now, when I make a mistake, I could rewrite a paragraph or rephrase right. a question. If you make a mistake in trial, you could kind of recover for that usually. If an officer makes a mistake, sometimes... Suspect is dead. Sometimes they're dead. It's, it's a different situation. Well, it's clearly different, and we and, and one has to respect that. But you know, there are standards, <clears throat> and officers who become uh, who take the job have various standards that they have to live by, and it's part of the job. And we know those standards. We recognize what police officers have to do and appreciate the work, but at the same time, they have to be held accountable. Period. You know, uh, it is. A fact that police officers don't always do the right thing, and they have to be held accountable for it. I'm sure you're aware that over the years you've become a very polarizing figure <laughs> in California City. Absolutely. Yeah, many rank-and-file police officers think of you as a race-baiting advocate for criminals. On the other hand, in some urban black communities, many people think of you as a savior, almost a superhero. Right, so absolutely. Let, let, let's take those characterizations one at well, a time. Who Do you think of yourself as a savior? I, I, I don't view myself as a savior in any kind of religious sense. I view myself as a person who is given the opportunity uh, to represent people uh, against institutions and against people who mistreat them. African-American men are despised. They're treated in the most disrespectful and dishonorable way in, by many of the police. And it is your job and my job to even that up somewhat. 
to give them some access to a system that they otherwise would not have access to. And those who call me names, uh, that's too bad for them because they obviously don't know me. <laughs> I don't view myself as a race beta person at all. In fact, I don't bring many race, race cases. But I also feel very strongly that a, a white person, white cop, black cop, if you, in fact, mistreat people, we have a right to call the question for you. And whether you like, whether the institutions like it or not, shame on them. But that's not my problem. I feel very strongly that just because you don't like what I'm doing doesn't mean it should not be done. And, and frankly, I have a lot of positive relationship with police. I have represented police officers, and when they've been beaten up by the police uh, or treated poorly or in, in situations, but I have very positive relationship with a lot of police officers. I've heard some people criticize you for being a, quote, publicity hound, someone who tries to get himself on TV so that he could attract new business, the Northern California equivalent of the late Johnny Cochran. Well, I don't view myself as a, as a media hound per se. I, I don't. I do believe this, though, that in view of police officers engage in misconduct uh, toward a client and then they call the, and, then, and then they demonize the client, I, I feel very, very strongly that I have to offset that in some kind of public way. And to me, I can understand where you might not want me to tell the truth, you know, about what I see or hear, but there are vast numbers of people who are very, very happy that I'm out there speaking the truth about what I see and the conduct that takes place. And the fact that there are distractors, that only means I'm doing something good. On the other hand, when you are appearing as an analyst on police misconduct right. issues, That's it does help you get business. I don't know that I view it that way. I view that when I'm talking as an analyst, I'm speaking the truth. Uh, and trying to help educate uh, people about what those issues are. That's extraordinarily important. I know that I'm reaching people in a positive way. Whether it has a byproduct on some other kind of issue, that, that just comes with the, the territory that, I've, uh, that I'm in. I am determined uh, through my work uh, to speak on behalf of those who are less fortunate than themselves and to provide access to the judicial system when they otherwise would not have been able to. To the extent that I can be helpful, I am determined to be helpful. Hopefully you don't mind me mentioning your age. You're 71. I'm 71, yeah. I, you know, I just had a birthday. You know, I've been practicing a long time. And how much longer do you continue? Well, that's a, you know, I, I don't have any plans to retire. Uh, my wife doesn't appreciate that because she's going to retire next year. But I really do enjoy <laughs> representing people. I just enjoy being able to, to tell that person's story. Finished a case in, um, in in December, a Vietnamese man that I was representing, who had been shot in the back by a San Jose police officer, and we got a significant award. But the the delight for me was to tell his story. There's an immigrant gay guy from Vietnam, and I got to tell his story. The immigrant story was a great great story because he came here to be an immigrant. He was a gay guy, and he gets shot, and now he's in a wheelchair. And, but I get to tell people's story. Now, everybody doesn't like the story. You know, you know, we, you know uh, everybody doesn't like the story that, that I get to. But for someone in him, his circumstance, you were able to give him I was dignity. Able give him dignity, and, and what people want is dignity. Because people want to be respected. And a lot of policing is disrespect in the black community. It's shouting at them. It's, it, it's, a, it's stopping them, searching them putting them in handcuffs, searching their cars. That's hurtful. It's hurtful. That's the kind of people I represent, and that's why I represent them. John Burroughs, thank you for joining us today.
Thank you. Good to be with you. You can find This Golden State on iTunes, on SoundCloud, or on Stitcher. Just look up This Golden State or try my name, Randy Shandabil, S-H-A-N-D-O-B-I-L. If you like us, write a review on iTunes. It really helps. Thanks for listening.